This is episode 1A of Free is in Freedom for Tuesday, October 11th, 2011. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And uh, so as we're recording this, the blog post I said I was going to write by the time the other show came out, I haven't finished yet. Which blog post? Oh, so you did what I did the, the time before. Pretty much. But uh, <laughs> but now it has to be out by the time this one. It must be. Because at that point Which I came... Which blog post was it? So I was going to write about the my year at Conservancy and write about all the stuff Conservancy's... Or uh. not all the stuff, but many things Conservancy has done this year. Um and I'm busy trying to do things for Conservancy for next year, and then, like, I didn't write about last year, and now it's last year's... Stipping. I find I'm just constantly underwater. Yeah, that's... And it's hard. It's like, you know, I, and it takes a long time to write these things up. So I'm trying to write a report every two weeks of what I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, and I've been doing it. Um, but I find that it takes so long just to remember, you know, just to sort of write it up. Well, and we're also definitely not on IRC chatting with each other, and we should be working, because I haven't even talked to you since the last episode, basically. Yeah, not at, almost not at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the first time we've seen each other in, in two weeks since the last episode. So um, this is your window into what it's like to be an executive director of a nonprofit, because <laughs> now you have a show hosted by two executive directors of nonprofits. That's, we did We did just, you know, we did have sort of a little bit of time, like a half hour or so of of catching up right when we saw each other, and it was just like this whirlwind of of discussions about all the things that we have going on. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I remember what this is, what was like at uh, FSF when I was the executive director of FSF from 2000 to 2005, and uh, it's, a, it's a familiar thing, and it, not all of it's good. It's, it's very stressful, but uh, we do this because we care. We care about the future of software freedom. We, we do do this because we care. And we want to make, uh, I want to make all uh, Conservancy's projects succeed. You want to make if GNOME we didn't, succeed. If we didn't care, we could, for example, go work at Apple. Go work it out. That would be evil. I only mentioned uh, I'm Apple. not supposed to say evil, right? I know. And yeah, I, I bet we have some listeners that work at Apple. I doubt it. I, I bet we do have one or two. If you're a listener at Apple, email me just so I, uh, so, so you can prove me wrong, but I don't think you exist. Huh? I, who, who would work for Apple and listen to this show? Um, I know. I know plenty of people who would listen to this show who would probably, unfortunately, jump at the chance to work at Apple. Really? Yeah. If you're thinking about going to work for Apple, don't. Even though I hear there's a job open it. <laughs> Which I think has already been filled because, uh, because Steve Jobs stepped before. down. Before yeah. So we did actually. So one of the things that happened during our half hour of catching up was that we just talked about a lot of things. And we, we just started talking about um, the fact that uh, Steve Jobs has died. And it actually turned into the beginnings of a very interesting conversation. So we just stopped and decided we would talk about it here. So I, I think that so, – so there is some discussion on Identica already that I saw. And pretty much the only discussion I saw in free software about people wanting to mourn and and so forth. And, and I was staying mostly silent on it until I actually walked home and I listened I, – I listened to every day the little news. And actually, let me handle this for just one second. Sure. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I should say that we are sorry for the family of Steve Jobs. Like, I'm not I'm laughing, but I'm – you know, it's it, – uh, you know, you said that you should allow people to mourn, and we should actually start out by saying, you know, that our condolences to anyone who was close to Steve Jobs. Yeah, I don't know any of that. I, I don't so. either, but when you talk about someone who has just, who, you know, who has just died, like, um, you know, for example, talking about the Nobel Prize winner who, mm-hmm. who died suddenly, um, you know, you just, I, I feel like it's important. Anyway, I understand. Carry on. Um, so, so your my, story. But my, my, I started while well, I was listening to the little NPR uh, news summary, which is like a four-minute uh, uh, podcast. It's actually a podcast, um, uh, not an augcast because I have to convert it to aug. Uh, that, that summarized the news of the day, and I was listening to. I actually am always a day behind because I listen to the morning one in the afternoon or twelve hours behind, and so it was just the announcement that that he had died, and they and the the the. Um, uh, what do you call those things they put in papers? Um, obituary? Obituary. They were giving an audio obituary. 
And they say, considered by many, the Thomas Edison of his era. And that's actually what made me decide I wanted to say something about this in some sense, because I, most people know on, who listen to this show that I'm not a fan of Thomas Edison. He more or less invented the modern patent system and, the, and particularly the idea that companies should control the patents of their employees. I mean, Edison would basically revolutionized companies filing for patents by having all his employees assign the patents to the Edison's, Edison's various companies rather than keep the invention themselves, which traditionally before Edison, an inventor invented something as an individual and then started a company around his invention. Now it was people working for companies assigning it to that. And that's just a horrible outcome. And so I think Edison was bad for the advancement of technology for that reason. So when I heard Steve Jobs compared to Edison, I was like, yes, that's right. But I'm also, <laughs> I have a real problem with what Edison did as well. And so I, even though Steve Jobs says just recently died, it's no different than Thomas Edison being dead. It's this point where, uh, as I think you were saying to me before the show, Karen, that this is a point where we can talk about the entire life yeah, story so of the person. Yeah, so what I was going to say is that, you know, we want people, you know, people should be allowed to mourn. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel differently about it. But, at the you know, when somebody does die... It's a it's a time that you can look the the story of that person's life has finished and so it's a time you can sort of look at it as a whole and I think it's perfectly natural to do that um, I don't I don't think there's anything morbid or inappropriate about that people are public figures um, and especially people who strive to be in the public light they're you know they're looking for this kind of attention for their lives and for after their lives and if those those people who work at apple i will tell you that when i die if you want to say that i was <laughs> it was an evil person because i supported this idea of software freedom and it's good that i died you can say that good that i'm dead you can say that about me if you want so you have my permission um uh but uh but because 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 I, I don't care in my, personally i don't care what people say about me after i'm dead except for to the point to which it ex it helps free software as a cause or something like that so if you don't support free software as a cause and want to say bad things about me after i'm dead then you have my permission certainly um on the day i die well it will want. upset me if people say that you're evil <laughs> well if people are against free software of course they think i'm a horrible person right? uh. um so and, and apple is against free software and that's sort of the point is that there's there's this sense that that's that that Apple innovated, and that Steve Jobs was this engine of, of, well, so of innovation. Paula Paul Rooney wrote an article on ZDNet um, where she, what did she say? I should pull it up. Because. I thought we were going for a second segment. Okay, we'll get right into this. this oh, 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 second segment. Okay, that's a little preview. Carry on. Okay, so, um, so for, for my personal opinion about this, see, I thought we'd give our personal opinions, then we could talk about what other people are saying. See, it's, a, it's a structure. Oh, yeah. okay, but I okay. Okay, Great. so my personal opinion is basically. Steve Jobs was not a positive force for the advancement of technology because he was obsessed with keeping technology locked up. And I think that it is bad when technology is locked up in that way and people can't learn from their devices. And, and when you look at the trajectory of his life and you look at the people that he worked with initially, somebody like Steve Wozniak, um, who is basically a hacker, who basically is the type of person who will sit down and learn how computers work. And when they got the first machines, he's the one who figured out how to get the bootloader working on them for the first apples by hacking around with the machines mm -hmm. out of the box. Those type of people invented these things, and Steve Jobs was an expert at at locking that down, putting that under control, under tight control, and basically turning it in from enjoyable technology into cookie cutter consumer product well you know i i'm sympathetic to the the other view here even though i agree that um that apple's model of locking down is inappropriate and um and it it caused me early on to stop purchasing things from them i mean not not that early on but um but you know in my adult life um so you know i I agree with you on that, but on the other hand, I do think that the reason why there's such an outpouring of sentiment over the death of Steve Jobs is because Apple really, that whole model of, of, of linking the software with the hardware and taking away choices from people is what made the technology more accessible to a lot of people who wouldn't have otherwise. They're not developers. They're not people who would have been developers. I, I, I'm 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 saying this because it's accessible to whom people who have four hundred dollars to burn for a phone. I mean, okay. that's not accessible so technology in my view. Usable. I mean, okay. So so I'm I'm going to tell you a story about me personally, which you may have heard before. But um, but when I started Columbia Law School, I went to a cocktail party, 
and it was a cocktail party of uh, faculty. So basically, the law school for the incoming class organized a few cocktail parties and they invited like a portion of the class and a few faculty members to have this like mingling thing. And I think maybe even a few alumni. And I was talking to a bunch of people and this woman said, um, I don't even remember if I befriended her or not, but one woman who who was at the party said, um, said, you know, my nephew is a, you know, my, my nephew is going to be so much better at computers than any of us here because he's growing up with this. He's going to be, I mean, imagine how, you know, just because he's a kid now, how much better, you know, he already knows how to do, you know, use a computer, <laughs> use Windows or whatever. Um, imagine how much, and I, I jumped at her and I said, that's not true. Actually, we are much better off because we grew up with DOS. We grew up with, um, with file, you know, with operating systems where we had to actually understand file structures and understand some basic things. Our, our computer games were, um, were within reach. We knew, you know, our guy would maybe, you know, there were glitches you, you could see and it was very simple. There weren't so, uh, graphics heavy. Um, and, and in fact, the computers that we grew up with are, you know, didn't have this layer of pictures that separate us from our computer. And therefore, kids today are going to be better users of whatever it is that we create, but they are going to be worse at understanding computers. And um, well, what did she say? And I said, well, there wasn't really time because so then I was like really on a rant. And I said, and what what Windows <laughs> and what and what, you know, what these you know, what Windows and, 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 and Macs have done is that they have made our computers for, um, you know, f- they basically have, have made them for old people today instead of, you know, instead of young people tomorrow. And, um, and I didn't get very far because Eben Moglin happened to be at that cocktail party and he happened to be standing behind that woman and he whirled around and he said, who are you? <laughs> and that's how I met Eben. And that's how I wound up ultimately, you know, getting involved with, I, I think. So ultimately. what you're saying is you agree with me. So basically I Apple started is out that way. But now, fast forward all these years and... I've had all of this experience with seeing people who were terrified of computers become comfortable with computers because of their Macs. I often use my mother as an example. I think she's starting to hate it, but she was terrified. She wouldn't, you know, I kept, I kept trying to come at things that I thought she'd be interested in. You know, you could keep your recipes on the computer. I typed a bunch of them in, you know, like I was writing little programs for her. So I thought it would be really cool. I kept thinking of different ways to try to draw her in. And it wasn't until she got a Mac or saw a Mac that she thought she could use computers, that it was something that was for her. And, um, and, and, and a lot of other people who weren't older, you know, felt that way about their Macs. And having seen that, I now understand how important our user interface is. And I think actually that Apple paved the way for GNOME 3. Because while I think what GNOME 3 does is different than what Apple is doing, the idea that you can just, that there should be a sleek interface for your computer is so essential and is something that we need for new users and for, for, for ordinary users. So I think Mac actually, I think I think Apple, Steve Jobs, actually paved the way for GNOME 3. And so I agree with that basic proposition. That was long-winded. Sorry. Okay. but um, So so I'll ignore the fact that you basically told me I have the emotional maturity of somebody just out of college. Um, What? Because you you said I have the same position that you had when you were just out of college. Um, No. What I'm saying is that I I used to – well, I used to believe as as – as you did, but also I I computed when you were young and well, foolish. but I computed more like you do now. Then, like I don't, you don't, you don't, you use very minimal user interface. You're well, I have a very rich user interface. I don't use a graphical user uh, interface you, because right. graphics slow down. Right, and I actually have I've, have, have come around on. <laughs> on my adult work. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're a kid, you need a lot of graphics because you're most of what you do is draw with crayons and so forth. But when you are grown up, you don't just crayons. But for anymore. people who aren't as savvy as us, giving them crayons is what a, we should do. It's, but it's not giving them crayons. It's giving them, it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to think, carry, carry on. I'm going to think of an example. So I, I'm I, I think that. I need Dan Ravisher. That'll just be a sports analogy. <laughs> so, um, uh, ah, okay. don't, make, don't make a sports so, analogy. I was just watching baseball the other day. So you're gonna, you're, it's like we have Dan Ravisher <laughs> on the show. You're going to make a sports analogy. It is so much more enjoyable for me to watch the um, to watch a baseball game where I can see graphics that show 
you know, where the strike zone is when there's a pitch made. There are proper words for this, and I'm revealing the fact that I don't know much about baseball. But, um, but you know, having that, it's not really an interface, but having those that enhanced presentation makes it a lot easier for me to understand baseball. Well, so, okay. So my, my point is that I'm not against graphical user interfaces for users that want them. I sort of agree with RMS about this, that the we should have any software that users want to use, and it should be free software. And whatever it is, we should make it. I think that what actually has happened is that we've been forced to create something like an M3, which we need. I agree with that completely because Apple created a lot of proprietary stuff that users wanted and we had to answer that. So, so it's sort of, I, I actually see GNOME 3, even though people say it's so different than other interfaces, um, it was sort of necessary for free software to make a radical new desktop mm-hmm. user interface that works uh, in, in exciting ways for users because Apple made a desktop interface that was exciting to use, but it was completely proprietary and locked down. So it's really just the, the same, same, same situation next day where we again have to answer what proprietary software did. And if proprietary software would stop trying to one up freedom and say, let's take people's freedom away. RMS also says this in his speeches, which I've always liked, where he says, he says, it's not like proprietary software isn't enticing. It's not like it's horrible or, or, or in that sense. In fact, it's always enticing because there's always some goodie that you're going to get. If you just agree to this proprietary license, you're going to get something that looks really good and works really well and you like, initially at least. And then you're going to find out you have to give up all your freedoms to get that one little piece. You get that little piece and discover you can do nothing else because you're trapped. That's the way they trap you. It's it's holding out the really tasty looking cupcake when in fact the rest of the buffet is is rotting food, you know. And 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 so <laughs> I think that's what Apple's done. And, and Gnome's answering, which is great. And I, I to that extent I agree with you. It paved the way for Gnome three because it said we've got to do something exciting and new on the desktop because Gnome two looks like computers did in 1999, and that uh-huh. I think is true. And Gnome three looks like computers look now, and that's why it's great. But it doesn't mean that Apple was great. It, it means that Gnome, like, Gnome was great. It I looks mean, like the way computers will look. And, and that's even better, right? Because it's always better to be ahead. And that's, in fact, I made right. this point about free software programming languages that Python and Perl, for example, were free software languages that innovated programming language. Right. And I, I mean, I agree with you. I think Apple's lockdown was the biggest was the biggest problem. And I think that what makes... Gnome and all free software different is that, you know, is that, is that inherently that's not the case. And I mean, for example, Gnome is now just starting to work on 3.4 and it's, you know, if you, anyone can sign up to, um, you know, to the uh, developer announce list and, or developer discuss list and, you know, and chime in with what they think the features that should be incorporated into 3.4 are. But don't propose a survey. <laughs> but I mean, all these discussions are being are being held out in the open, yeah. and and that's that was an insider the... joke for the Gnome crowd. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any event, um, I think surveys can be useful. I was just telling you to do one yeah, for, in another context, for, for, not for, for Gnome for a Conservancy Project, not for yes. Gnome. Everybody, <laughs> you have recommended a survey for a Conservancy Project, which I agreed was a good recommendation, <laughs> and we will recommend it to our Conservancy so, Project who so, who might benefit from a survey. <laughs> so I agree with you that. You know, I, I agree with you that the you know that Apple they created made a its problem mark. that GNOME three had to solve. That's how I see it. Apple but created the problem. GNOME three is the and solution. What I'm sa- and I wouldn't disagree with that. But what I'm saying is that, and, and actually, I, I'd say also Windows, Microsoft also caused the problem. Well, actually, GNOME two was solving the problem Microsoft created. <laughs> GNOME three is solving the problem Apple created. Um, but I, I I'm just saying that I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like. When we evaluate historically Apple's influence, or it's know. like Thomas Edison, it, history will be history is written by the winners, and Thomas Edison won and changed the patent system and 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 decided to teach knowledge treat knowledge workers badly by making them give up all their knowledge to the company. Um, so will Steve Jobs' history because history is written by the rich will be written as he did great things for humanity, um, and I don't think it's true. Uh, I mean, to, uh, not was, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I think that philanthropic, thing- philanthropic, maybe he did. He gave some of the money away. I assume. I don't actually know that, but I assume he gave some money away. Probably not as much as Bill Gates. Um, but I, I think some Buffett. of the impact of of the Apple approach, which was very different, you know, of having you know really attractive looking hardware that had software that really worked on it, and the idea that even savvy users might not want choices all of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think those were really groundbreaking. I don't want to 
recommend Apple. And, you know, I think the problems are their problems. I'm just saying that I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And to deny that positive impact, you know, it, you know, is, is just not being honest. I'm reminded of Cat and Red Dwarf and his obsession with shiny things. I mean, in the end, sh- shiny things are not that important. And that's what I see Apple products are, is they're just shiny things. And, th- and that's, that's the only value they have. somebody who I don't know if he'd want to be identified as saying this, so I won't um, identify him, said, uh, and someone that we both deeply respect, said, at heart, we're all monkeys, and we like to touch things. And, um, you know, we like to touch things and play with them. And, um, and, and the more things that are easy to use, you know, basically he was talking about how, um, you know, many people have been talking about how tablets, they think tablets are the future. And it's just this thing, like we're basically hardwired to respond to good visuals and, um, you know, great interface. Don't try to take my shiny thing. You can't have my shiny thing. It's my (laughs) shiny thing. I found it. Okay, in the next segment, we'll talk about what other people are saying and and our response to it, I suppose. So so this article you want to talk about, who wrote this article? Um, What is this thing? Why why do I care? Oh, it's it's, uh, Paula Rooney. She wrote an article. It was just, you know... uh, one of the articles that, that so so ZDNet's a link baiting uh, uh, so-called news website is saying well they recently Steve Jobs, they recently covered covered my medical devices stuff so uh, I'm well there is that um, <laughs> but Steve Jobs an open source pioneer question mark you bet um, I bet that he's not yes. Um, and she goes on to just argue here that basically because he adopted permissively licensed stuff, and one time they threw a project okay. over the wall. Well, I think that the important point part of the article, or the key of it, is the um, Steve Jobs' early use of BSD and development of Darwin were key endorsements of the open source project concept and the open source development model that tilted public and programmers' opinion in favor of open source. Okay, first of all, this this woman doesn't have doesn't understand how years work because she says early to talk about something that happened in basically two thousand and three. That doesn't make much sense to me, given the free software movement started in nineteen eighty four. So, so how is he an early adopter? Darwin. Darwin is in two thousand three. We're talking about two thousand three. First released in eighty nine. First released in eighty nine. Well, that's what. Apparently, how Wikipedia describes Darwin. that's not re- well. Okay, Darwin's so Darwin's heritage began with next next step operating system first released in nineteen ninety. Right, so it's saying next After was released Apple then, and next, next was proprietary. In fact, Steve Jobs was the first GPL violator, as I said in my oh, talk. Oh, oh, I see. Right, so so the point was, next was all about proprietary technology. Um, and doing everything proprietary. They rewrote it, most of Next uh, based on BSD in the early 2000s when they wanted to launch the new Mac after Steve Jobs went back to Apple. So so the, he is, he is a, a person who understands the difference between copyleft and non-copyleft. I would agree with her if she were to say he was the first to really figure out that if you want to exploit people, avoid copylefted software, because Steve knew that very well. And he avoided, once he ran into the thing with Objective-C, which I talked about, I think, two shows ago in my talk, mm-hmm. um, he avoided it from then on and only used permissively licensed stuff. So, yes, he was the first to figure out that if you take and give nothing back to the community, you can be very successful at basically taking from free software and never giving back. Well, and that's the impression that I had gotten from you know the whole Darwin thing. So I was kind of surprised to see... That part of the of the article. they threw they threw they threw parts of it over the wall. It, it, it was thrown over in parts. It was actually very similar to what happened to the BSD after the AT and T lawsuit. There was parts that didn't really work that were released uh, that people tried to get working, and there were a lot of free software projects that have attempted to make use of that stuff uh, and have, have been challenged trying to make use of it. And her argument in the article is that while well, they they never got adoption or something. It's like you give somebody something that doesn't even work and you say, we released a bunch of code. It doesn't really work. It's We threw it over the wall. There you go. Um, I don't think that that's actually engaging in free software development in any stretch or adopting it. In yeah, any I, I would agree stretch. with I mean, I, I, I was surprised to see that article. 
Uh, it's a link baiting article because they cover the open source beat, and the only way to get links uh, at the time we're recording this, the last week, uh, the the end of last week for everybody else, was to talk about Steve Jobs, and so that's why they did it. Because if you search news, lots of people searching Google News for Steve Jobs. I, I mean, the whole t- you know how I feel about the tech press. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I think that. I, you know, I, I think that it's it, there's nothing wrong with with taking a look at this point at Steve Jobs' life and saying this where this person is akin to Thomas Edison in my view. I I I think that that's actually a correct analogy, and I don't think Thomas Edison is somebody we should be holding up as a as a great uh, a great innovator of technology. He was a great business person who was very good at doing what business people do, which is making money for themselves. I think that he can be held up as a good businessman, but also I do I do think, as I said before, that you know Apple had some positive impact that we in free software can build on and learn from. No, I don't think they had a positive impact. They created additional problems that free software is getting good at solving. So, and, And to that extent, I think I might agree with you, right? When you present somebody with a challenge and they step up to that challenge... Uh, there's an incentive to step up to that challenge. There's an incentive to do work. I think when the Apple, the switch and the, and the giant sucking sound of users from GNU Linux to, to, to Max during the, the the mid uh, 2000s, that was a challenge to people like the GNOME developers. And they, they answered that challenge well to doing GNOME 3. I mean, it's still a challenge. I mean, it's amazing to me when you go to like, you know, a Linux con, and see all of the Macs in the audience. It's just amazing. So, I mean, I think it's still a challenge. I mean, I think, you know, GNOME 3... GNOME 3 speaks to that problem, mm-hmm. but I don't... We're certainly not there yet. We, have, we haven't... We haven't, you know, gotten all of those users back. Yeah, well, that's that's and I don't know a that lifetime it, thing. I mean, yeah, and that's when we're, not, that we're going to talk about death cuz we're talking about somebody's death on this episode. I a long time ago realized that that I'm going to die in a world where there's still proprietary software. I was naive enough once to think I that, will probably die with proprietary software in my body. I know that's horrible. <laughs> um but 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 I came to the conclusion that that I, at one point, I thought, oh, free software will succeed in my lifetime. We'll, we'll have universal software freedom. Well, we're not going to have that in my lifetime, certainly. So from my point of view, it's always, that's always true. We're always trying to answer the, the influx of proprietary software. And it's a, it's, it's a, I hate the military now, but it's kind of a ground war, right? It's, it's always the battle of the bulge in free software over and over again. There's always uh, the people who make proprietary stuff will make inroads. And there will be uh, a lot of people adopting that proprietary technology. And then we in the free software world have to catch up. And people complain about free software always trying to catch up. If proprietary software basically has a 20-year head start on us. Proprietary software started about 20 years before the free software movement. So they're always going to have a 20-year head start. 20 years matters less once we get to 150 years. So that's what I think actually the success... If I was take, if I could take bets for longer than my lifetime, I might bet the under on 150 maybe. Hmm. Um, but it's certainly going to take at least that long. I just think that the problems are, are, are more complicated than you present them sometimes. I mean, I... The the problem is simple though. It's proprietary no, software I, I, I taking you, away freedom not, from users. It's not simply a matter of proprietary software having a twenty year head start. Oh, that I agree with. I, I think that that there that, and that's because we have wily opponents uh, like Steve Jobs who are thinking really hard about how to take away freedom from users. And if you have people who are smart, and I agree that Steve Jobs was a smart man, there's no question about that, whose life's work is to take away software freedom from people, that that's their sole purpose in life. I do actually agree with you what you said before, Uh which was that his sole purpose was to make profit. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, nobody's sole purpose is any one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't... My sole purpose is universal software freedom. What are you talking about? You can't, you know, just caricature somebody like I'm that. I'm a caricature baby. <laughs> yes! I'm a caricature of myself. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, sorry, you were saying. I made you laugh too much now, and you can't even make your point. <laughs> I don't even that was that was actually that. debate strategy. That was a debate strategy. I, I made you laugh. Too. I didn't so, think we so, were so, debating. I thought we were discussing... Okay. Anyway, you don't remember which point it was because I declared myself a caricature of myself. 
Well, I was saying that uh, you, it's unfair to characterize Steve Jobs in one way, and I so I was chiding myself actually for mm. saying that his sole purpose was to make profit. But I mean, but I think holding him up as a you know as a as a or or looking at him as a businessman and, yeah. and seeking profit is probably more apt than like you know mm. the the drive behind taking away users' freedom was to maximize profit in every right, possible exactly. way. But I wouldn't say that you know his his goal was to yes his goal was to make money and he figured out you know, the best way he could make money was taking away software freedom from users well not just right. software freedom oh yeah other types of freedom as well yeah. i mean i mean hardware the freedom i mean the, the hardware people hate the mac stuff too because you can't yep. change components and modify it i mean yep. so people who are in the hardware there were all the deals well. with the media industries yeah so. Exactly, and and so and so it, it, I don't know what happens to Apple next. I I I hope, frankly, I have to admit that I hope that Apple does not have the kind of successes it's had in the past because it, it is a, it is an adversary to software freedom, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think it's. I guess I guess you could argue maybe the policies might change. Maybe Apple will become a little softer, and that might help. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see if if the, I wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just. I wouldn't say it as softer, seek a different kind of success, mm-hmm. right? Because big companies can be successful with free software companies, especially like Apple that create, you know, such beautiful hardware are exactly the kinds of companies that could be very successful with free software. Okay. So if a- Apple wants to switch over to GNOME 3, um, I would be very happy to talk to them. I'll take the over, <laughs> I'll take the over on 150 years of that. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Apple will cease to exist as a company before they no, will switch think, to think, primarily a free software I, no, system. No, I, I think that I think that's right. But what I'm saying is that certainly exactly, one under the GPL. I, I'm with you. I just think that I think that in fact, you know, it, Apple is the, per, the one of the kinds of models that could succeed were it free software. Um, yeah, and that's what Canonical is trying to do, but they don't want to use GNOME three. So what's that about? I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, well, I won't bring that up. We'll, this we'll is leave a it totally different podcast. Yeah. That well, no, it's this oddcast is totally different episode. Totally different episode of this oddcast. Correct, and we've debated unity before. So have we? I no, we haven't. Uh, not Maybe here, I don't think. I don't know. That there's that much to debate. Okay. But okay. You never want to debate anything. I like to discuss rather than debate. Okay. But then I think I wind up debating anyway. We do disagree about some things. Oh, do you know Andy Rooney quit? Did you hear this? No. Okay, and it's the only it's the only impression I can do. And, and and most of our listeners don't even know who Andy Rooney is. They're like, why is Bradley talking about this Andy Rooney I guy? have actually temporarily forgotten who Andy Rooney is. He's the guy at the end of 60 Minutes who used to give the little, oh. like, uh, thing, and he did his last one. And he's the only person I can do an impression Are you of. basically... Okay, well, you know, sometimes we do a funny segment, maybe... I'll ask you to do an impression for the funny... No, I, I'm, I have to retire because he's retired, so... Well, you done. can give a retirement speech. Uh, I, now his retirement speech was not as uh, Andy Rooney enough. He's <laughs> he says he, he said in the interview he didn't mellow in his old age. Anyway, so I thought I should mention that because Andy Rooney was the first person I ever remember seeing on television. So there's that. Oh really? And now he's retired, mm. which means I'm I'm old too. I'm not as old as him. He's ninety three, but I'm not. Oh, he's ninety three. Ninety three. Wow. He was. Uh, I don't want to talk anymore, Randy. Because I don't actually this like is, this. Is another pro- part of the problem with um, so with with this format for the podcast is that especially if we haven't seen each other in a while, this is like we're just chatting. <laughs> Did you ever notice how our podcast sort of doesn't stay together at the end? See, nobody knows who Andy Rooney is, so it's not even funny to anybody. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's it. We're done. See ya. So, Karen, we were uh, somewhat uh, forced, in a way, to record an update to this, which is why the audio quality of this uh, segment uh, is bad and why we said in the last segment we were going to end, and now we're not. Right. And uh, I'm actually at the Montreal Summit uh, for GNOME right now, um, so I'm on my mobile phone. Well, we apologize to everyone for the audio quality, but we felt that given that we recorded uh, last week, uh, and then the free software internet uh, exploded uh, with uh, discussions of Steve Jobs' uh, death and RMS's comments on it and various other things. We felt like we should record a, a brief update uh, to the material we had recorded earlier just to make sure that folks realized we weren't ignoring that, that in fact it was recorded after all that started. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that I think that actually the the explosion over the statements 
capture uh, a lot of the discomfort around the line that you and I were walking in what we already recorded. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I s- sort of stand by what I said in the main the main uh, segments that folks just listened to. I don't think it's any different if somebody died yesterday or died uh, 20 years ago or 100 years ago. And I agree with what you said, which is that basically a, a time of someone's death is a time to look over their whole life and say uh what happened and and what was was good bad or indifferent and and i think i think that that's a reasonable thing to do well and a public figure is a public figure i mean somebody who holds themselves out you know it's different when there's a when someone's a private person and they you know they live their life quietly but when someone holds themselves out as a public figure as steve jobs did um giving a lot of you know talks to big rooms of people and um and cultivating you know a, a public persona then i feel like it it's it's you know, it's it's part and parcel of the of the whole thing that um, folks should think critically. But I do agree with a lot of the criticism, um, you know, that's going on right now, and that it's really important when somebody dies to be tactful about it. Um, I think it's it's a you know it's a sensitive time, and people feel strongly about it. And there are respectful ways to talk about things, and disrespectful ways to talk about things. And I think that you know this is one of those situations where I, you know, I I don't know. I agree with a lot of the criticism of. Um, you know, of, of Richard Stallman in this instance because I think that, you know, I, I actually think he anticipated that, um, you know, he was treading in, in troublesome territory because he he states, you know, I'm not, um, I forget what he said exactly since I'm, I'm on the road. Do you remember? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think we need to read it exactly. Um, I, I oh, mean, okay. I... Th- I but but I don't I don't really uh, you know knowing RMS I don't really agree with you I think that he doesn't tend to uh, I, I first of all RMS is not known for his tact uh, I read a commenter online pointing out that in fact being uh, not tactful uh, is actually sometimes a very important attribute for someone fighting for a social justice cause because they're will they're they're willing to say what no one else will say and and RMS See, has I- always had an Emperor has no clothes, kind of uh, kind of uh, style to him. Well, the point I was trying to make is that he went as far as to say, "I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not glad that he's dead." And you know, I think, I think that, um, I think that that's where other people maybe would have been a little bit more effusive. Yeah. Um, well, he said nobody, nobody deserves to die. Is actually what he said. Oh, okay. Um, which I, I think was sort of trying to get at this point, um, you know, and then he and then he goes on to the point he wanted to make, which is that, you know, the, the points that, that you were making mostly, and you know, I was agreeing with in part in our in the previous segment. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I think I think one of the things I'm going to do is also link in the show notes to the Gawker article and the New York Times article. The Gawker article about Steve Jobs was was very critical, pointing they were f- primarily focused on the sourcing of various Apple devices uh, in in various different countries. Basically, I I think there was a line in there about how Apple products were built on the backs of of mistreated Chinese workers uh, who mm-hmm. who work in these electronics factories, and and so I I think I think that 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 RMS wasn't the only one who was criticizing uh, Steve Jobs uh, and, and and saying that his his life wasn't wasn't perfect. I watched this morning because uh, I'm we're now recording on Sunday um, the Sunday morning uh, news CBS news piece recorded by David Pogue who just sort of has this glowing wonderful how great is uh, Steve Jobs was so great and he used to call me and all this stuff and I, I just thought about how corrupt the tech press is that they uh, basically David Pogue has made David Pogue has made his career of getting free devices to play with uh, and he reviews them well and then that means he gets more and it's just so corrupt uh, the way that whole tech press works uh, with regard to getting basically basically you get to play with new toys if you say good things about them and if you don't uh, you won't get the free ones in the future so um, well I, I just think the situation's more nuanced than that I mean like you know even you know Colbert had a little segment on that um, in you know the Colbert report yeah I saw that I, yeah, and you know, it's it's more nuanced than that because the point is is that everybody wanted those devices. That there was, you know, uh, well, not everybody. I, you know, not everybody. I didn't want to be have my computer controlled by other people and not be allowed I to wanted, even learn how it I, works. I often wanted a device, but I wanted a free version. Um, you know, I mean, the a lot of that stuff was really really sexy, and that's that's part of what made it so influential and what made it so important. You know, 
and and all the more important to point out, you know, what was, you know, what was, what was bad about those devices and what could, what should have been better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I agree. I think, I mean, you know, I think getting back to our initial point, this is the time to, to, you know, or, or a time to talk about, um, you know, Apple and Steve Jobs retrospectively. Um, but I, I do think that the issue is more nuanced. And I think that in a situation like this, where you're talking about somebody's death, I, 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 I think tact is important. Yeah, and and uh, and RMS does not, and I know him well enough to know that he he doesn't think tact is important. Um, and to the extent to which people say that, that his message might have been lost because he wasn't tactful, um, maybe that's true. But there are a lot of RMS's messages that would never have been delivered if he wasn't tactful. And, and I think there's been uh, some good comments about that. Uh, uh, a fellow I know from way back, uh, named Craig and Sitiker, told the story of of RMS in, in Argentina and being and and basically saying to the Argentine government, "You are failing to do something in a truly free software way because you're rolling out free software, but it's dual boot and all this other things, which is a very un, very non tactful thing to say when uh, when you've been invited by a government to come speak to them about uh, what they think to basically herald the greatness of of their their partial adoption of free software." So, so I, I think that that there that, that some of what um, we as a community like about Armas, and I'm speaking more generally, that that he's willing to say to people, I think this is wrong, and and here's why. Um, I think that's that's what leads to this kind of of thing. And and I, I have some of that myself. And I, and I I'm actually curious to see how people are going to react to some of the things I said in the earlier segments. I, I've been wondering that ever since the Armas stuff broke. Of course, we had already recorded our two segments uh, that preceded this one, and I was. Sitting, thinking, what, what are, what are people going to say about what I've said? And I'm, I'm curious I know, to I see. I thought the same thing <laughs> about myself, actually. Yeah, yeah and, and I was somewhere in between your level of tact, which I agree with you completely. You're, you're a very tactful person, uh, one of the most tactful people I know. Um, and uh, RMS is probably one of the least tactful people I know. Certainly true. Um, and uh, I'm somewhere in between, so I'm just curious. I'm curious how untactful you can be in this world w- w- and not get flamed to ad nauseum. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and at the same time, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that sometimes Salman carries the messages that no one else, you know, is willing to carry. And, you know, I, I always say about Richard that he's, you know, that when he has a strong opinion about something, he's almost right. Um, but carrying the message and, you know, whatever wrapping you make your message means that people are, are either receptive to it or they're not. And, you know, this is where I think actually we need to be more banded as a free software community to, you know, to, to, to help convey the parts of the message that are, you know, are reasonable or, 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 or the, the meat of the message is basically what I'm saying. Like the, the main point of the message is one that I think, you know, most of us agree with. And actually um, in one of the posts um, I read a link, there was a link, um, um, I can't remember, I think it was Michelle Gagné's post, um, basically uh, saying that that post was a much better description of the issues. And it was simply, it was a, a very, very eloquent, um, you know, a, a very, very eloquent exposition of the very same idea. And it's just, you know, that, that's, it's, it's asking a lot for everyone to, <laughs> to, to be that, um, that tactful and, and, and well-written all of the time. Um, but I, I agree with the criticism because I really wish that that, um, that message had been had wrapped up a little bit nicer. Yeah, I mean the the final thing that really bothered me about all this is that is that RMS was careful to post it on Stalman.org, which is his personal website, and and I, it wasn't an official message from the FSF. And and it's true that RMS is the president of the FSF and the chairman of its board, uh, but uh, but I'm also on the board of directors of the FSF, and I say lots of things on my personal website, uh, some of which agree with official FSF policy. Uh, actually, I almost always am in agreement with it, but sometimes I'm not, and I say when I'm not, and I. I think it's somewhat unfair uh, for folks uh, to to be unwilling to look at that nuance of the question. Uh, I think that, that, that just because somebody's a, a, a head of an organization, they should have a right to their personal opinions. And for example, uh, I'm not bringing but up some of the things. He didn't actually explicitly say that, and I think it's unreasonable for He's someone who is the head of an organization. I just think that it's unreasonable when somebody. I think it's unreasonable when somebody's affiliated with an organization not to hold, you know, not to link those two things. I mean, you know, whenever I say things, I, I, 
you know, I think about the fact that maybe they'll be attributed to GNOME or maybe they'll be even attributed to SFLC or even Conservancy, and, and that has happened in the past. Well, um, sure, it, it happens. It, I, I think it's, it's wrong, though. It's nice to think that you're, you're not, in part, speaking for the organization. I mean, usually when you're speaking, you know, like, for example, I heard you on the panel, at uh, the copyright assignment panel at um, the Desktop Summit, and, you know, you were very clear when your views... Uh, you know, different than um, than organizations you were affiliated with to say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm basically that that fastidiousness that I've developed with regard to that issue has been because people have uh, have made assumption and confusions, and and it's caused serious trouble in my life when they have done so, when they've read something on eb.org and and basically tried to get me in trouble at my job for it. And, all sorts of things and went to my employers and said uh, that this person on eb.org is saying something on your behalf, which is completely an asinine position to take. Um, so uh, I, so I I've been through that and that's caused me to be fastidious about this. But, uh, but I, I think, I, I think, I think it's, it's unreasonable to think that you won't be associated with, you know, that the statement won't be associated with your employer. Well, I'm, I, I have been called an unreasonable person, and suppose I, I suppose I am an unreasonable person on this point. Uh, but so, for example, I didn't talk about anything that that was in, for example, in the Gawker article about Steve Jobs about his non-public life. So, so there's stuff in that Gawker article about his relationship with uh, with his his family and and his 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 divorced uh, wife. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to link to them in the show notes. I'm not going to repeat them here because my whole point was I didn't want to get into those because that's that's his private life, and and that's and I think that's crossing the line of the distinction between uh, what you're saying, which is as somebody who's a public figure, we have a right to sort of analyze and talk about what they've done. But uh, that doesn't mean we have a right to their private lives and talk about what they've said in their private lives and, and done in their private lives. So uh, so I, I think I think that that was unfair of the, of the Gawker article, and people aren't giving that a hard time. There's also people who are planning to protest at Steve Jobs' funeral, saying he's a, <gasps> a soulless minion or something oh like that. Oh my gosh, really? Um, those same the, that same uh, church that protests everybody's funeral. It's it's it's. Uh, my wife says we shouldn't even mention them because it gives them it gives them uh, uh, it gives them no. what they want, which is credibility and, and name. <laughs> but but I'm not even going to say the name of the church or anything. But there there are people that are doing that because this was mentioned in some of the comments, and it's like nobody's giving outrage to that. I mean that's that's truly outrageous and truly wrong. Well, hang on, I'm sure there are people who are expressing outrage at it, just not necessarily. Yeah, so, in but, the, but not in our community. Everybody in our community. community. There's one person in our community who brought it up, which is how I learned about. <laughs> It even happening, and everybody else is worried. You know, three sentences that RMS put on his website saying nobody deserves to die, but what uh, what Steve Jobs did was wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm, I think everybody, you know, nobody expressed surprise that um, that Salman had the view that he had, um, you know, f- about Jobs. But I think he didn't, you know, I I think that when someone dies, it is a time for 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 delicacy. So uh, you know, I'm 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 on the fence about it. I mean, I I, I, yeah, I, I wish, I'm such a I'm I'm such a computer geek. That, you know, I think of this by induction, and it really bothers me that things are not that this is not true by induction, right? Because somehow at, at n plus uh, you know n plus g days after someone dies, where g is very small, there are certain rules you have to follow, and then suddenly it's not too soon. Which is sort of my point about Edison earlier in the earlier segments is that like it's been it's been you know 150 200 years something like I, I I'm sounding stupid because I don't know what date Edison died, but um, but the point is he's been dead a very long time, so we can say pretty much anything we want about him, but because the g is small in n plus g uh, for for Steve Jobs, we're not. We have to have this certain amount of tact, and it, I, I just, I, I mean, as a programmer and, and somebody I mean, who believes there are in no hard by induction, it seems weird to me that somehow, as it's somehow asymptotic, that you can say things later that you couldn't say then. Well, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no hard line on people's emotions. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, right. that's the thing. There's no formula that you can follow, and. You know, for whatever, for for the multitude of reasons that we've been hearing about, Steve Jobs' death really impacted a lot of people, and they feel very personally about it. And so, you know, there's a, a way to talk respectfully about it, and a way to talk disrespectfully about it. And I think, you know, I. But I, I those rules. That my issue is those rules change when when n gets large, when when it's been a longer time since they were dead. That's, That's true, but there's no me. bright line. 
Right, and, and that's annoying. The that nobody wants to, to write death. down. Like, when can I? So when? When? Do, when does it become untactful? Like, nobody can even tell me when it becomes untactful. I, I'm supposed to somehow figure that out by social cues. And and for those of us who are geeks who are not great at social cues, it, it, we're at a disadvantage. And and I and some people could say, well, that's your lot in life. But I, I don't know. It, it kind of sucks. Well, there are general rules that you can that 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 you can put into place, which is you know, for at least. You could you for 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 a, a random period, and we could pick you know anything from a month to six months after someone has died. It's really important to be extra <laughs> extra cautious about what you say about them, um, or really just how you say it is the most yeah. important thing. And and well, the truth is, if you say it tactfully, you can say it you know on, at n. Forget about n plus one or n plus you know three hundred and sixty five. Okay, well, I, I, I'm gl- I'm excited to, in a weird way to find out uh, how tactful I am because we'll see how those first two segments we recorded if people think I was tactful or not, and uh, I can figure out how well, bad or good I, I am too, at it. I too wonder um, how tactful I was. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're as I said, you're one of the most tactful people I know, so I don't think you have anything to worry about. Maybe I do. I don't know. We'll find out. I suppose. Uh, and I hope folks have enjoyed this. I hope this update was useful uh, to folks. I know the audio quality wasn't great, but we figured it was better to get this together. And I just want to say one final thing, which is thank you so much to Dan Lynch, our intrepid producer, who had already edited the show and was willing to splice this in for us. It may not be spliced in perfectly. We told him to make it as easy for himself as possible because he had already done all the work. And and um, and so and so we want to thank him for for making the effort to splice this extra piece. He is definitely the best. <laughs> I think we should end on that. We should end on that, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll probably end up with a segment next week for at least a few minutes discussing what people responded to this episode. So uh, so we'll catch up with folks then. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfBakedMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Freeze and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. Please send any feedback to Ogcast, O-G-G-C-A-S-T, at FAIF.us and subscribe to the RSS feed on FAIF.us. Well, uh, if you'll just excuse me. Hey, hey, you can't have my shiny thing. I found it. It's my shiny thing. What are you driveling about? This is my shiny thing. And if you try and take it off me, I may have to eat you.